First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord. So precious greetings again, everyone. Um, so I don't know if all of you know, but uh, we we have um, a death among us. Sister Sister Juanita and Brother Robert lost their son a couple of weeks ago, and they've been kind of dealing with that privately. If you would pray for Robert and Juanita, that the Lord will bring them through. It's tough losing your, your children. We should never get to bury our children. Uh, so would you please pray for Juanita and Robert that the Lord will cushion the blow um, and bring them through this tough time. Of course, Sister Venice is traveling today. Um, she has a nursing conference in Winston-Salem. She left early this morning to go there. So pray for her traveling mercies. And um, I'm burdened down by our health fair that's coming up uh, that we are partnering with the Nigerians Physicians Association. If you'd also pray with me this week that the Lord will will help us with that fair. We're expecting 500 people from the neighborhood to come. So please pray that the Lord will help us. All right. The Apostle Paul continued. This is part two of that series. And um, if the Lord will help me, we can end with only two. But um, it is so much information that I'm having to, to pour through. Maybe we'll go to three. Um, for me, the most interesting thing about the Apostle Paul is not only that he authored nearly half of the New Testament, right? So in the second installment of this character series, I wanted to organize uh, his ministry um, in terms of looking at the books that he wrote, where he wrote them, who was with him at the time, um, and so on. So... Um, in this series, I'm going to review how and, and when Paul wrote some of the books and the letters that he wrote back to the churches that he started, which resulted in the books. I will also talk a little bit about um, some of the relationships that he had. Uh, many of you will remember Barnabas as his traveling companion, Paul and Barnabas. Also, Paul and Silas was also his traveling companion for a while as well. And of course, is um, let's call him his, his minister. The Bible calls him his minister, Timothy, uh, who was also influential in, in Paul's ministry. Um, I also attempted to put the information in some chronological order so you can follow the detail um, of his missionary journeys. He had three, some say possibly four missionary journeys that are documented. And I want to kind of put those in context as I give you a little bit more about Paul. And then finally, I will try to wrap it up with the fact that he was a fugitive. He was a fugitive for most of his missionary life. He was literally running for his life. And I don't know if you get that in the books that he's writing. You get, you get some of it in the book of Acts where, where, where Luke kind of summarizes it. But for the most part, homie was running. Nearly all the time he was traveling and spreading the gospel. He was in and out of prison a lot. And to top it off, um, the Jews are trying to kill him. I think six or seven times I record in this study that they were trying to kill him. Um, and they, they put out a fatwa on, <laughs> if, if I could call it that, on, on uh, the Apostle Paul. So last week we stopped after um, the Lord encountered him on the Damascus Road. Um, and after this 
I called it an amazing, miraculous experience. Paul spent the next several days with the very Christians that he was going to persecute. Isn't that amazing? Uh, what do you find? The Bible tells us that he immediately began preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He made like a 180 turn. He's going to do harm to the people of God. He meets God on the on the Damascus Road, and then he immediately turns around and start doing the work of Jesus Christ, which is crazy, right? I love that. Um, and, and it became very confusing for the converted Christians that he'd already uh, accrued to himself. And the Jews that were with them, he found that they, they couldn't believe that this was the same guy that was persecuting us not very long ago, and now he's a Christian preacher. So his reputation as a persecutor of Christians was hard to shake. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7 and 8, in his own account, Paul says that Jesus appeared to him and revealed to him the gospel. This is also found in Galatians 1, verses 11 through 16. So it sounds to me that, that the Lord gave Paul what we would call private lessons. Paul was, was focused in his study in that the Lord uh, arrested him, pro probably um, on his trip to Arabia, and downloaded the gospel to Paul, which is why he came out swinging and so fervent and zealous with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul appears to be, uh, well, he appeals to the authority of eyewitness testimony, pointing out that Jesus did, in fact, appear to him personally. And in his letter to the church at Galatia, he builds on that case, right? That the Galatians can, can absolutely trust the gospel that was presented to him because it came directly from God. And the first apostle supported this message. You can read that, read about that in Galatians 2, verses 6 through 9. So this encounter on the road to Damascus, uh, Paul uh, redefined his life and it changed the purpose of his journey uh, from silencing Christians to speaking out in support of them. And instead of taking away from their number, Paul began to add to their number. I should say the Lord added to the, the Christian numbers as Paul was preaching. And once Jesus redirected his focus the Bible says Paul continued on this trajectory of sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the rest of his life. It took one encounter on the Damascus Road to change the entire trajectory of this man's life. And from then on, Paul began to stoke the flames of the faith wherever he went. And, and at whatever cost, you will see from tonight's study that the cost for him was high. More than any other person besides Jesus, uh, the Bible tells us that Paul was the reason why Christianity spread so far and so fast in the ancient Near East. It's a common misconception that Paul used to be Saul. So let me clear that up. Um, and that when Jesus called him, he, remained, he renamed him Paul. 
you may have heard something like Saul the persecutor became Paul the persecuted. Now, there's no verse in the Bible that supports that. Paul and Saul are actually the same name. One's Hebrew and one's Greek. Does that make sense to everybody? Uh, shortly after Saul's conversion to Christianity, Luke tells us that he's also called Paul. And in Acts chapter number 13, verse 9, we see that. And for the most part, the rest of the Bible refers to him as Paul. Uh, nevertheless, Jesus doesn't refer to him as Paul, uh, but he still called him Saul 11 more times after his conversion. It is important for you to know that it is the same name. One, the Hebrews or the Jews would call him Saul, and the Greeks and the new Christians that he was converting uh, would call him Paul. Now, it is true that in the Old Testament, God occasionally would change people's names um, after their experience with him, and he would convert or he would transform their lives. You remember Abram. Abram became Abraham in Genesis 17.5. And of course, Jacob became Israel in Genesis 32.28. Uh, and this represented a significant change in their identity. But that's not what's happening here, right? With Paul, there was no um, change in his identity. There was change in his mission. The reality is that Saul was a Hebrew name and Paul was a Greek version of that same name. Similar to how uh, James is the Greek form of Jacob uh, and Judas is the Greek form of Judah. Um, as Paul began to evangelize Greek communities, and since most of the New Testament was written in Greek, it makes sense that we see the Greek version of his name used most often after his conversion. Of all the ways that Paul affected Christianity, the biggest was most, well, arguably anyway, in his spreading of the gospel to several non-Jewish communities. He certainly wasn't the only apostle to do so, but he's widely known as the apostle to the Gentiles because we, we see that Jesus specifically called him to minister to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. And he and other apostles agreed that uh, this was his role. We see that in Galatians 2, 7. And that was undeniably the focus of his ministry. While, while as you know, Peter was called mostly to the Jews, Paul was called to evangelize the Gentiles. This is the reason why he went so far and wide to so many different countries in spreading the gospel. When Christianity emerged, it was often thought as, as a sect, a Jewish sect um, built on Jewish teachings and Jewish beliefs. And because most of the Christians at that time were also converted Jews, many also still followed the Jewish customs, rituals, establishing the law of Moses, the feast days, and so on. But Christianity was, in fact, radically different from Judaism. The Bible tells us that. And while many early Christians followed the law of Moses, it wasn't a prerequisite for believing in Jesus. The law of Moses and the Old Covenant that it bound them to had been replaced by Jesus' new covenant and what the Bible calls the law of love. That's what John 13, 34, and 35 calls it, the law of love. For Paul, the apostles and the early Christians, the law and specifically the, the ritual of circumcision was one of the greatest theological issues of their day. 
first century Jews had grown up believing that the law was central to their identity as God's chosen people. And they struggled to fully grasp that Jesus rendered the law obsolete, right? We see that in Hebrews 8, verse 10 through 13. Here's how the Bible renders it. He says, quote, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And I shall, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each on his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, verse 12, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. This is the new covenant. This is the new covenant. And in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. That's verse 13. So the, the Bible is very clear about the new covenant being a replacement for the old covenant. Amen. Now, Paul constantly wrote to Gentile Christians to tell them not to worry about things like circumcision, right? As you can imagine, uncircumcised adults were rightfully freaked out by the idea that they had to do this in order to become a Christian. And in Acts 15, the apostles met and Paul and Barnabas officially uh, to settle this matter because there were a pocket of Jewish Christians who were continuing to tell the, the newly converted uh, Gentiles that they had to be circumcised. In fact, Peter argued that God hadn't discriminated between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians because he had given them both the Holy Spirit. And if the entire history of Judaism, uh, no one had been able to keep this law of Moses except for Jesus. So he said, why would you put a burden on the Gentiles? Paul asked in Acts chapter number 15, verses 7 through 11, why would you put that burden on these new Gentiles if you yourselves weren't able to keep the law? So James was the bishop of the church in Jerusalem at the time, and he concluded after listening to everyone, he said, quote, in Acts 15, 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for these Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them simply to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For in the law of Moses, this has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Acts 15 verses 19 through 21. So if you'll notice, the apostles didn't decide that Gentiles should follow the most important commandments. Let's call them the Big Ten, right? Or anything like that. Instead, they, they, they essentially 
instructed the Gentiles to be culturally sensitive to their Jewish brothers and sisters because the law was to be respected and observed by Jews everywhere. But despite the apostles' agreement that Gentiles did not have to adopt Jewish customs to be Christians, Jewish Christians still saw law-observing Christians as superior. And even Peter himself got pressured into playing favorites for these law-observing Christians, and Paul wasn't going to have it, right? He wasn't going to let that slide. So uh, he confronts Peter in Acts chapter number 10, after he received a vision concerning Cornelius, you remember um, um, Peter's vision concerning the sheet coming down from heaven, uh, you know, don't call unclean that which I have cleansed, the Lord told him. Uh, one of the first apostles to specifically advocate for sharing the gospel with the Gentiles was Peter. After this experience with Cornelius, and the Lord spoke to him in very, very frank language, let's call it. But as the Gentiles started to join the church, Paul noticed that even Peter treated Gentile Christians differently in order to save face with those who still valued the law. So Paul called him out on it. Galatians 2, Galatians 2, verse 11 through 16, Paul writes, yo, listen, Peter, when Peter came to the church at Antioch, he said, quote, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned, for before certain men came from James, the bishop, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the Jewish group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, Paul's homeboy, was led astray. And Paul writes, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them, he said, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one is justified. Paul goes on to say that if righteousness could be gained through the law, then then Christ died in vain. Christ died for nothing. He wrote that in Galatians 2.21. And as he explained earlier in the epistles to the Galatians, Peter, James, and John already agreed with him. And the Gentiles did not need to follow the law of Moses. And Jewish Christians were not better or superior than Gentile Christians because they did follow the law. Now, Uh, Even though Paul argued that Christians didn't need to be circumcised in Acts 15, as it turns out, he he had actually circumcised Timothy uh, not many days before that. In the very next chapter, in Acts 16, verses 1 through 3, we read, because of the Jews who lived in that area were violent, and he did that in order to acquiesce to their uh, tendencies. Now, let's talk about Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, The book of Acts records three missionary journeys that Paul took throughout Asia Minor. Uh, 
um, took him to the first one took him to to Cyprus, to Greece, to Macedonia, and to Syria. And as I mentioned at the very beginning, some scholars agreed, argued rather, that there was a fourth missionary journey as well. Now, in each of these, Paul and his companions set out to bring the gospel to the Gentiles specifically. And they established the churches uh, Paul wrote to them in his epistles, as well as to many others. And in some case, cases, Paul uh, spent well over a year in these cities. He preached to... Uh, to all of these Gentiles in these various cities, living with the believers there and modeling a lifestyle of imitating how Christ would want them to live. Now, over the course of his life, Paul likely traveled well over 10,000 miles to spread the gospel. Now you have to realize what 10,000 miles mean on a horseback or donkey back and on foot right so his first journey as i mentioned um took him from antioch to salamis to paphos to perga then to antioch again then to iconium then to lystra and then to derby right and then he backtraced that went back all the way to antioch uh, he began calling from the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter number 13, verse 2, he left the church with Barnabas, the church of Antioch. He left the church with Barnabas and a man called John, we believe this to be John Mark, right? Who is the author of the book of Mark, right? And together they sailed to Cyprus, an island in the Mediterranean. Here, Paul performed his first miracle. Uh, perhaps inspired by his own conversion on the road to Damascus, uh, he blinded a sorcerer who opposed their attempts to evangelize a proconsul in Acts chapter number 13, verse 10 and 10 through 12. The Bible says, Then they sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John Mark parted ways with Paul and Barnabas. This became a point of, of, of argument, tension between Paul and Barnabas later. From there, Paul and Barnabas went to Sidon, Antioch, a city in the mountains of Turkey. In Sidon, Antioch, Paul and Barnabas entered a synagogue during the Sabbath, and Paul preached the gospel to Jewish and Gentile believers alike. They were, they were invited to come back and speak the following Sabbath. And when they did, most likely, uh, many in the city attended this meeting. Many of the Jews in attendance became angry and tried to stop them. But the Gentiles were so receptive to their message that they stopped the Jews from attacking Paul and Barnabas. And eventually, Paul and Barnabas ultimately had to leave Sidon, Antioch. Uh, it's spelled Sidon, P-S-I-D-O-N, Antioch, due to this persecution. And they traveled to another Turkish city called Iconium. They spent a considerable uh, number of time there. Acts 14 tells us that, verse 3. And the city became increasingly divided. Some Jews and Gentiles supported them, while others opposed them. And those who opposed Paul and Barnabas started a plot to stone him. But they heard about it, and they fled to uh, a city of Lystra called Lyconia. There, Paul performed another miracle. He healed a man who had been lame since birth. We read about this in Acts 14, verses 8 to 10. The people who saw this 
thought Paul and Barnabas were gods and attempted to make sacrifices to them. Uh, and Paul and Barnabas convinced them, hey, listen, you don't need to do that. We are men just like you. And some of the people who opposed them inside on Antioch and Iconium followed them all the way to Lystra. And they are there they stirred up the crowd against them. They stoned Paul and left him for dead outside the city. Then he got up and went back in. The next day, uh, they decided, no, nah, this is not the place for me. And so they left that place for Derby. This is another city in Lyconia. Uh, they won a large number of disciples there. In Acts chapter 14, verse 21, we learn that. And from Derby, Paul and Barnabas looped back. If you remember, I told you they looped back through the cities that they are already preached to, to encourage the new believers that they had converted there. And they appointed elders and leaders of the churches there. After staying in Antioch for a while, Paul then asked Barnabas to go with him to visit the churches they had already established. Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark again, but Paul didn't think that this was a good idea um, since he had abandoned him before. So Paul and Barnabas parted ways. Barnabas took John Mark to Cyprus and Paul took Silas to Syria and Sicily in Italy. Paul and Silas then traveled through Derby, then to Lystra, where they picked up another believer. His name was Timothy. This is the, the same Timothy who became Paul's minister. And he writes uh, two in the book of First and Second Timothy. And together they traveled from town to town and told people what the apostles had decided at the Council of Jerusalem, where James told the Gentile Christians not to worry about things like circumcision, which was pretty I ironic, right? Um, the Holy Spirit kept Paul and his companions from preaching in the province of Asia. So when they went to Phrygia and Galatia, where they planted the church, Paul will later write to in Galatians, eventually making their way to Troas. Here's a fun fact. Asia used to refer to a very specific region in, in that part of the world, what we know today as Turkey. That's what used to be called Asia. But Westerners began using the name to describe pretty much anything east of where they were until they eventually used it for the whole continent. So the name Asia grew on that ancient Near Eastern continent. And even now we have Asia re referring to uh, that great far continent in the Far East, not just ancient Near East, but places like China and Japan and Singapore and Hong Kong, etc. Paul had a vision, if you remember, in Acts chapter 16, which led the group to Macedonia. And interestingly enough, here the author of the book of Acts begin to include themselves in the story. After Paul had seen the vision, he said, quote, we, we got ready. This is Luke. We got ready once to leave Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They made their way, th way through several provinces and arrived at Philippi the main city in Macedonia. Here they met a group of women, including a wealthy cloth dealer named Lydia. After they baptized Lydia and her household, she invited them to stay at her house. These were the first members of the church Paul writes to in the book of Philippians. Now remember, I told you some time ago that uh, wealthy women 
or women who had wealthy husbands that later died and inherited their household became uh, a refuge, if you will, for Paul and the, the folks that traveled with him because they had these large homes and they could accommodate um, some of the first house-to-house -house churches. Uh, during their time in Philippi, a spirit that possessed a local slave girl was bothering Paul. You remember, she was walking behind him and, and basically mocking him. And in Acts chapter number 16, verse 18, the Bible says that Paul cast out that spirit out of her. And normally people would be happy when this happens, but the slave girl's owners was making money off of her because of the spirit that uh, she had was able to predict the future for some of these people. And they got very mad and, and riled up the, the people in the city against Paul and Silas and managed to convince the local authorities to have them beaten and imprisoned. And while Paul and Silas were in jail, there was an earthquake. This is a famous story. You, you would read about this. There was an earthquake and the prison doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. Uh, but no one tried to escape. Paul and Silas shared the gospel with the jailer. And once they were freed, they returned to Lydia's house. And from there, they left for Thessalonica. Uh, for three additional Sabbaths, Paul taught in the synagogue and established a group of believers that he would later write to in First and Second Thessalonians. He gained many followers in Thessalonica. But those who opposed him started a riot and threatened his supporters. So the believers say, listen, you got to leave here. These guys are serious. You need to leave and go to Berea. So he left and went to Berea. The Berean Jews received the message of Paul with great eagerness, the Bible tells us. And the Bible says they were known for examining the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true or not. You could read about that at Acts 17, verse 11. Unfortunately, some of those who opposed Paul and his companions in Thessalonica heard that he was in Berea. So guess what? They traveled there to attack them there. So Paul left and went to Athens. Um, Silas and Timothy agreed to stay behind, but they decided that they would catch up with Paul later. Now, of course, if you know anything about Greece and the Athenians, they were accustomed to discussing new ideas, right? They, they, the Greeks are credited with um, starting um, this new uh, idea of discovery and education. Um, but they never heard the message that Paul preached before. So they were intrigued and debated with him. Some of his listeners became believers. And then he left for Corinth. The Bible tells us that Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, preaching in the synagogues there and gaining both Jewish and Gentile followers from a range of social statuses, forming the group of believers that would later he would later write to in First and Second Corinthians. He stayed with two folks, a couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. They were tent makers like himself, so he found a natural connection to them. And then, of course, Silas and Timothy rejoined him there. 
The Jews who opposed Paul tried to bring charges against him based on Jewish law, but the Roman proconsul wasn't interested in hearing the case. So Paul left with Priscilla and Aquila and journeyed to a place called Ephesus. You see how the books were formed? You get a sense of how each of the books of the Bible, the New Testaments, were written because Paul was either forced to go there or traveled there, uh, preached in their synagogue, started a Christian community of Jewish believers, and then established the, the church. And in this case, the church at Ephesus. Paul went into their synagogues and reasoned with the Jews, promised to return if he could. Then he made his way back to Jerusalem and Antioch, where his second uh, missionary journey ended. Now, Paul began his third missionary journey by returning to Galatia and Phrygia, where he continued building up the churches he had already established. From there, Paul traveled back to Ephesus, where he encountered some believers who were, weren't familiar with the Holy Spirit. You remember this in, in Acts chapter number 19. I, I, I use this a lot when I meet folks that are coming to Christianity or to apostolic Pentecostalism, and they had already been baptized, right? They were either, um, maybe they were baptized as a child uh, in the Catholic church, or maybe they were baptized in the Baptist church in, in, the, in the titles. So I use this chapter, Acts chapter number 19, where Paul arrives in Ephesus and he meets, he meets these uh, followers. Um, they were taught largely by Apollos, and, and he didn't get a chance to complete uh, their, his teaching to them, and they didn't get a good grasp of the gospel at the time. So Paul remained in Ephesus for more than two years and made sure that he, he drilled them and trained them and taught them. The Bible says, and during that time, he transitioned from teaching in, the, in their synagogues to discussing the gospel openly in lecture halls of Tyrannus. The book of Acts records that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord preached through Paul. Acts 19 and 10 tells us. During this time, Paul did many miracles, the Bible tells us, and even things he touched, the Bible said, uh, reported to have healed people, Acts 19, 12. Now, a dangerous evil spirit claimed to know Jesus and Paul. People flocked to Paul and his followers, and the church grew quickly. Around this time, Paul decided to head to Jerusalem, so he journeyed through Macedonia and Achaia and made his plans to stop in Rome. Now, this dangerous evil spirit who claimed to know Jesus and Paul drew people to himself. Maybe I'll get back to that some more later. But meanwhile, in Ephesus, there was an uproar because uh, Christianity was experiencing explosive growth, right? And it had stifled some of the business that some of these people relied on, and the, especially the idol worship that was in the city of Ephesus. The city was on the brink of rioting, and Paul wanted to return to help his companions. But the city clerk managed to de-escalate the situation without him which was a good thing because those business owners were pretty mad at Paul and they probably would have killed him. So Paul went to Greece and spent three months. Then he returned to Macedonia to avoid some of the people who were plotting against him. In Troas, a city in Macedonia, Paul was teaching in an upper room 
if you remember, this is kind of funny, not really, but he, this guy fell asleep and tumbled out of a window, falling to his death. The Bible says that Paul laid out on him and revived him and re revived him, returned him to life. This is another miracle of Paul. He then left. In a rush to reach Jerusalem, Paul bounced from Troas to Mytilene to Chios to Miletus. These are different cities where he asked the elders from Ephesus to meet him. After encouraging them, uh, encouraging them, he boarded a ship and returned to Jerusalem. Even after numerous Christians warned him, don't go there. They're trying to kill you, man. And this is where we, we believe Paul embarked on his fourth missionary journey. And some argue that Paul made this journey um, since some of the letters refer to events and visits that have not been accounted in Acts. There's an assumption that these visits were of his fourth missionary journey and not the three mentioned in the book of Acts. Now, this largely depends on whether or not Paul was imprisoned in Rome once or twice, which his letters are ambiguous about. But Paul suggested he would eventually travel to Spain. We see this in Romans 15, 24. But he provides no record of his journey in his letters. However, early church fathers claimed that Paul did in fact travel to Spain. So that might have been his, his fourth or the beginning of his fourth missionary journey. In his letter to the church at Corinth, first century church father Clement of Rome said, Paul, quote, had gone to the extremity of the West, which at that time was presumably Spain. And fourth century father John Christenton said, quote, for after he had been in Rome, Paul returned to Spain. But whether he came thence uh, again into these parts, we know not. And again, Cyril of Jerusalem, also a fourth century leader, wrote that Paul, quote, carried the earnestness of his preaching as far as Spain. So we believe that although the book of Acts did not record that specific journey, we believe that Paul made a fourth missionary journey and that took him to Spain. Now, we remember that Paul was shipwrecked a bunch of times, right? The Bible records that, that he got in trouble a bunch of time. And it's probably because the waters in this area <laughs> was pretty troubled, right? And in particular, the boats and ships that they used in that time um, is not as what you would call sturdy and stable and safe as the ones that we have today. Uh, on many of Paul's journeys, he traveled by boat. And as you can imagine, as I just mentioned, those boats weren't uh, safe in the first century, uh, especially when they went on long, long voyages. In his second letter to the Corinthians, uh, which was likely written before his final trip to Jerusalem, Paul claims he was shipwrecked three times. He writes in 2 Corinthians 11, quote, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Uh, and there's no other record of these wrecks in the epistles or in Acts. But in Acts 27, it does record a fourth shipwreck 
uh, in far more detail. On Paul's way uh, to a trial in Rome, his boat encountered what the Bible calls a brutal storm in dangerous waters. And the soldiers took drastic measures. But the Bible says an angel spoke to Paul. And then he turned around and encouraged them and advised them along the way. So you can see from what I'm what I'm sharing here that Paul's life was tumultuous to say the least. He was running from here to there. He was being um, he was dodging assassination attempts, if you will. Uh, in fact, during his ministry, Paul Paul made a lot of people mad at him. It would appear to him that it appears to me. Let me put it this way: that. Paul just spoke the truth, whether it, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, you know how some people try to polish the words that they say to you so that it doesn't hurt your feelings. Paul didn't do that. At least that's the impression that I got, right? And the Jews and Gentiles that were following him, he would off, he would often make them angry by how he presented the gospel. So it would either convince you that, that what he's saying is true or it would make you mad, right? Have you ever met preachers like that? Right? And I think that's how, that's the personality that I'm getting from Paul because the Bible tells us that they, they made so many plans to murder him. And in one of those times, they stoned him and left him for dead outside the city. Fortunately, he revived, right? So I believe that we should consider the fact that the, the hearing of the gospel to convert the heart um, often doesn't come in the way that you would expect. Um, in fact, Jesus said it like this, that, that, you know, you have to leave father and mother because of the gospel. Right. And sometimes the gospel, the gospel cuts you this way and cuts you that way. It, it presents the raw uh, facts the way it presents it and it's it's for us to either accept or reject and sometimes it made made people quite mad and in fact a lot of the Jews that followed him and later Gentiles that followed him his presentation of the gospel would make them mad and they would turn around and try to kill him so the Bible records six occasions in Acts that they made plans to murder him and at one of those times, they stoned him, and as I mentioned, left him for dead. And the Bible explicitly says that they plan to kill him, not just attack or harm him. They plan to kill him. They plan to kill him. I'm going to stop here uh, for sake of time and give you an opportunity to ask me uh, some questions before I continue. Next time, I'll try to finish it next week. Um, next time, I'll talk a little bit about... The, the six assassination attempts um, against Paul um, in the various cities. And then I'll wrap it up um, with Paul's defense of himself to uh, Herod Agrippa II to hear his case and, and then his house arrest. All right. Um, turn your microphones on. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast 
and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.